calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Everybody and welcome to this a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! <laughs> We're recording this after three of us had a very busy days, uh, but we are ready to jump in and talk about all the geeky goodness that's been going on this week. We're going to jump into some news around Marvel, moving some film dates around. We're going to talk about. Um, what else are we going to talk about? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about some trailers that have dropped that are a lot of fun. We're talking about Alan Moore's comments, and we're going to take a break, a big break, and then jump into our main event, and that is or our main topic, and that is a full-on spoiler discussion of Werewolf by Night. <laughs> For those of you, uh, Michael, doing the uh, – those of you watching our visual, Michael has explained them in great format uh, there uh, non-verbally. But, so let's introduce ourselves first. I'm the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. Mike. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. Animated shows like the one that Shannon McClung is about to tell you about. Shannon. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where some of our current work is on Netflix right now. Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, Season 2. Hey, Shannon, I know you're working on those scripts for Season 3 right now. I heard you got some notes today, and it was the least amount of notes that you've ever gotten on a script. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, they weren't perfect because I got notes, but they were the least amount of notes I've ever gotten. (laughs) Sir, I have seen the amount of notes you usually get, and that was very few notes. So good job. There you go. They were notes notes that I read that I was like, oh, this is going to take about five minutes. (laughs) 
Oh, nice. I feel like if he does less notes, you should pay him less because it's less work. Isn't that how it works? Or is that not how is that? <laughs> no, no, just, no, no, no. Because as the showrunner of a show, what happens is yeah. the, the, the worse those scripts are, the more work the showrunner has to do. Oh, so if point. Shannon's scripts are easy to note and easy to turn in, it makes yeah. my life easier and I will pay him all the monies also it's not my money so i was gonna say and and, and it's and it's totally vogel's decision (laughs) the the distribution of funds before we veer too far off the uh, main road here and let's also give uh some much love and thanks to carbon health who continues to power and sponsor us here on the geek buddies go to carbonhealth.com if you got any questions uh, or concerns or needs healthcare wise to help you out maybe you're a werewolf or a man thing and you need some help with things or maybe your bloodstone is on your back and you need to get that removed so you can function and live your life, for God's sakes, as, as you were meant to live your life. Listen, Go to CarbonHealth.com and get that checked out. We yes, all have those moments when we want to get our man thing checked. So Hello. Okay. make sure mm. you take care of that. Mm. And also, if you want, uh, you can also download the app to have a doc in your pocket. And uh, so you can have any any, cons- any urgent care situation handled there. You can see your, your newest um, or, or closest, rather, Carbon Health location for you to go to. And there's 100 plus locations all over the country, 80 plus locations in California alone. All right. Let's jump into this thing without further ado. Uh, Mikey, I think you got to take it away, my man. I do. So as usually happens when Marvel has problems with one movie. Uh, it means that a lot of movies all of a sudden shift dates. So as we all know, and we reported a few weeks back, um, Blade is in search of a new director. Um, rumors are also saying that that script is going through a major overhaul. Um, and so while they are fixing Blade and putting that on a little bit of a pause and shifting that date, um, the benefit or the sad part about having a connected universe is that one movie moves and a lot of movies all of a sudden move around. So the brand new dates for the uh, mm-hmm. back half of the Marvel movies, uh, phase five and six, we now have Deadpool three moved from September 6, 2024 to November 8th, 2024, which is when yeah. Fantastic Four was going to come out. Fantastic Four has now moved to February 14th, 2025. Uh, and Avengers Secret Wars, which was going to be just six months after Kang, the Kang Dynasty, is now going to be a year after Avengers the Kang Dynasty on May 5th, 2026. There was also an untitled Marvel movie that we don't know what yes. it is yet that was set for February 14th, 2025, which has been pushed to November 7th, 2025. Um, and another movie having been removed from the schedule after being set for May 1st. So... Lots of shifts around. Um, Fortunately, I mean, we all lived through the pandemic where things got shifted like a year. Um, These are all moved aside from Secret Wars. Things are getting moved like three months, four months. Probably the biggest news in all of this is uh, there's going to be a year gap between those Avengers movies. So back to kind of what we dealt with with Infinity War um, and Endgame. But without, it looks like currently without an Ant-Man or a Captain Marvel between them. So that's going to be a pretty big gap for them. But gentlemen, always disappointing when we have to wait longer for Marvel movies. Um, But what do you think about all these shifts in schedule? Well, I think you perfectly said it when you you texted us and said, this is the problem when you have an interconnected universe. It's it's like you're copying pasting when when you've we clicked on seven things and you're moving them all at once. That's essentially what's going on there, like you do on a document. So that's what we're seeing here. And yeah, it sucks that all this stuff's being delayed, but you want to 
think the best of the situation and that they want to delay this stuff because they want to keep working on this stuff or one thing's kind of falling apart. So they have to readjust because the blade situation is certainly something that has been going around and around now since night in 2019. Uh, so we've been waiting for that film forever and it hasn't even shot a day yet on that film. And already we've got already that director has been moved off of it. Rumors about a page one rewrite, rewrite um, rumors that Maharsha Ali now is considering maybe not being a part of it or there's rumors about his schedule maybe not lining up so there's a lot of concerns about that movie so you move stuff around so you were depending on this movie coming out at a certain time and now it's not so that how does that affect these other movies and i also think the positive response to werewolf by night has really kind of made them reassess something here maybe and start to explore maybe finding a way to weave man thing or the werewolf by night into some of these things or something or Elsa bloodstone or so with the bloodstone stuff it's certainly a possibility that they're reassessing this a little bit and going okay where can we find a place to fit them in because according and we're going to talk about it in the spoiler review but it's clear that we've had vampires and monsters walking amongst us in the mcu for quite some time possibly even before there were mutants or superheroes. So that's something that I think is going to be fascinating, how they might open the door to that here and make it a bit more interesting. Shannon, what do you think about all these moves? Well, I mean, it, it is disappointing. Um, but at the same time, like the things that you that John mentioned about, like they haven't shot a, a frame of film, they, yeah. you know, they, they haven't done anything yet. That's actually a good thing because you don't want them yeah. to start production and then have some major upheaval like losing a director because that's when you get something that's really, really in bad shape. Um, and as disappointing as it is, because as... Also, John said, like it was announced in 2019, Mahershala Ali was going to play Blade. Um, you know, you would want them to take their time and get it right, because sometimes when you do go into a rush schedule, you get a film that feels rushed, that mm. feels a little incomplete, like, oh, this would have been so much better if you had taken one more pass on that script. And, you know, the the rumors out there that this, the current version, the current draft that they had was 90 pages, only had two, two uh, kind of uh, substandard action sequences. That's not the thing that anybody wants to see. Like, you want to see the good version. I mean, a Blade movie shouldn't have two action sequences. I mean, it should it should be, it should be, I won't say how, I won't put a number on it, but it should be more than two. And it, be, it should be something that kind of, you know, knocks the audience's socks off. Right. Because thinking back to the very first Blade with Wesley Snipe, the introduction of that character in that rave, that's going to be tough to top. And that's what they want to do. Um, but, I mean, to the Avengers delay, that's really interesting because now it does kind of pave the way, potentially, for Destin Daniel Cretton to do both of them. Um, now, that doesn't mean he's necessarily, I mean, you know, we don't know how they're connecting, like we know yeah. the titles, um, but maybe they do want a different director. Um, but if if they are as connected as an Infinity War and Endgame War, and that's not to say that they are. They could be two separate things. Um, you maybe want the same person at the helm. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's disappointing because I, I was really looking forward to uh, seeing the Fantastic Four sooner sooner than later. But, again, you, you, want, you want them to take their time and get this right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's ultimately... It's ultimately a good thing when Marvel does this. It sucks. It's frustrating, but it really does show, like I did say, like this is what sucks about having an interconnected universe, but it also shows that they really understand what they're doing yeah. with their connected universe. Like they are, like you said, Johnny, it's like, it's like copying and pasting, but it also is like somebody going, ooh, okay, well, 
we got to do this to do this and then this has to be yeah. here and then we might as well take the time to do this because we're not going to be able to introduce this person the way that we thought to and so there's a lot of shifting things to make sure that that connected universe stays but that's why they have the success that they've had because that connected universe has maintained amazingly well for the amount of movies and tv shows that they have now um and i also think in the case of blade uh you know i don't I, I i slightly disagree with you john is i don't think they're reassessing man thing or elsa bloodstone uh or jack jack russell i think that they knew from the get-go that those characters were characters that they were going to weave in to secret wars and to the rest mm. of the bigger marvel universe but i think that blade is a big piece of that i think yeah. that blade is an important movie for them and they know they've really got to get it right. Uh, you know, for most people, we always talk about X-Men, the original X-Men being the thing that kicked off the superhero movie uh, universe that we currently exist in, but it was yep. really Blade. I mean, Blade came out first, and as silly as those movies got by the end, uh, by Blade 3, um, Blade well, 1 yeah. was a banger of a movie. So I do think that uh, they know they got to get it right. They're going to get it right. It does suck. That year gap between Kang Dynasty. I'm already worried about that year gap between those two mm. movies. It's going to be a long time to wait when we get out of that theater after Kang Dynasty. And I'm going to say to you guys and be like, I wish we were only waiting six months. God damn it. <laughs> In like, what, three years to whatever it is when we watch it. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. If, I, I, would, I would not be surprised if this was the first of several sort of shifting dates that we see in the upcoming months uh, or so. So yeah. we'll keep an eye on it. But in the meantime, uh, Wakanda Forever is still coming out in a month. It is. It is. And certainly they dropped uh, some featurettes this week. So if you guys have been watching some of those featurettes, they're pretty fucking cool. And there's some some small amount of new footage. There are just seconds of new footage in each of those featurettes if you guys want to watch those for sure. And, you know, the Deadpool thing is interesting, too, being moved so many months after all that hype. Now, you got to wait even a little bit longer, I think, to see Deadpool. So just a couple months, but uh, still you're waiting a little bit longer. So we'll see how this all plays out. And we'll see where the TV shows land on all of these things. Like what? new series or what uh, what continuation of some of these series where are they going to land in all of this so maybe marvel creating a little bit of space because they want to play within the margins here of the time they have between these films coming out certainly between the two avengers films coming out for sure um all right let's take a quick break and we'll jump into our uh, second uh, topic uh, right after this now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Nope. Did I jump the gun? You jumped the gun. All right. Anyway. Shannon, Shannon, Shannon. Hey, hey, on the next break, guess what song I'm going to do? Although, to be fair, I don't know what theme song you could have done for Alan Moore, but maybe you could have found something. I needed to Google Grumpy Old Men. It's all a joke, man. Um, all right, let's uh, let's talk about these comments here from uh, Alan Moore. I pitched some I pitched some topics to the boys, and they liked this one. So let's talk about it. Alan Moore here was being interviewed uh, by the Guardian. A pretty extensive interview. If you haven't read the whole interview there in the Guardian, but a couple of quotes really stood out and have kind of grabbed the uh, comic book movie sphere 
uh, attention here because uh, he called superhero movies, uh, you know, he once called them a blight to cinema uh, and they were also to culture to a degree, a bit of a blight. They described adults' continued love of superhero movies as, quote, infantilization that can act as a, quote, precursor to fascism. Uh, and this is the full quote. I said around about 2011 that I thought it had that it had serious and worrying implications for the future. If millions of adults were queuing up to see Batman movies, of course, which just recently happened, because that kind of infantilization, that urge towards simpler times, simpler realities that can very often be a precursor to fashion, saying that the fascism rather that can be a precursor to fascism. I didn't really think that superheroes were adult fare. I think this was that this was a misunderstanding born of what happened in the 1980s to which I must put my hand up to a considerable share of the blame, though it was not intentional when things like Watchmen were first appearing. There were an awful lot of headlines saying comics have grown up. I tend to think that no, comics hadn't grown up. There were a few titles that were more adult than people were used to, but the majority of comics titles were pretty much the same as they'd ever been. It wasn't comics growing up. I think it was more comics meeting the emotional age of the audience coming the other way. I will always love and adore the comics medium, but the comics industry and all the stuff attached to it just became unbearable for him but he admitted in a 2020 interview that he had not seen a superhero movie since tim burton's batman in 1989 i think that's an important part of context to put his quotes in so uh michael i'll go to you first on this one thoughts on his on uh, alan moore's comments on this and the fact that we're wearing uh you know superhero t-shirts is this is this infantilization well i'm wearing a pro wrestling shirt but still is this infantilization are we heading towards fascism Sir, how can you say that I am wearing a comic book t-shirt and acting oh, like a child when I am clearly wearing a Chippendales Rescue Rangers t-shirt, which makes me much more adult? Clearly. <laughs> Sir. Um, yes. I uh, I find it interesting. You know, we talked about like when Scorsese says stuff like this or when other big sort of directors who direct like the more important films kind of like punch down towards wait, superhero wait, wait, films wait, wait. in their head. Don't put don't put important in quote. They do direct important films. It's not, it's not a quote. Those are and, important well, no, films. What, I, they, what I'm saying is the, per, the perception is these are directors who think that their films are important and other ones aren't. You like, yes, like you, okay, can't, you can't start saying like, like, like I think a lot of films are important. I think Black yeah. Panther is a very important film. I think sure. Infinity War and Endgame are important films for what they managed to do in just telling that level of a scale of a story. So sure. I'm not saying that Godfather or Goodfellas or any of these other movies aren't important films, but I'm right. saying these are directors who have a different opinion of their films than superhero films. Certainly. Certainly. And what's interesting about Alan Moore is this is a guy that comes from comics. This is a guy who wrote one of the comics that most people feel elevated the genre to be literature. You know, there's Alan Moore, um, there's Frank Miller with Dark Knight Returns, there's Neil Gaiman. Like, there are these authors that came along and took comics and kind of told stories that really went beyond uh, someone in tights punching a bad guy. So I, I find it interesting that this is his opinion. Anyone who's tracked the career in the life of Alan Moore knows, as much as he's written a bunch of banger comics, dude's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> um, so, you know, consider the source. That's but I think what's question. also interesting about it is it's just an interesting question in general because superhero, uh, the superhero genre, Star Wars, like these things, you know, most most everything that we cover on Geek Buddies, uh, you know, even Game of Thrones and and Rings of Power, like we talk so much about how exciting it is to be a geek right now, but superheroes, orcs, goblins, 
you know, all of these things, uh, you know, Jedi's and Sith Lords have sort of taken over pop culture. And does that make us a entire generation of people who never grow up? Or are these stories our new modern day mythology and we're using these broad over the top uh, characters to kind of work out our shit? Like, I don't know that it makes us closer to fascism, but it is interesting. Like, what does this mean for society as a whole? Like my friends and I talk about this a lot that when we talk about getting old and when you think of a retirement home and you think of like, our grandparents or elderly people in a retirement home, you think of them playing like gin rummy and pinochle. But when we're all in retirement homes, we're going to be playing fucking Mario Kart and Metroid because like, that's what we've grown up with and we never stopped doing it. So as a generation, we are growing up and not letting go of our childhood things. Alan Moore is correct in that. I don't know that that's a bad thing though. Hmm. Well, it's funny. It'd be the first time I'd play a Mario Kart would be in the nursing home. Uh, Damn Shannon- it, John, you took my joke. <laughs> Sorry, God. <laughs> Shannon, what are your thoughts on these comments here from uh, uh, Alan Moore? You pride yourself on your superhero T-shirts and the uniqueness of them. You know, you don't just buy any you superhero T-shirt. You're a connoisseur, and you're a connoisseur in how you choose what uh, superhero stuff to enjoy and uh, dive into. So, what? And you're an adult. You've been working uh, extensively your entire life, paid bills. You know, done stuff on mm-hmm. time. You've been married twice. I mean, you're an adult. So, I mean, this seems twice. odd. I'm just saying that that those are adult things. It just seems odd to hear Alan Moore say these kinds of things. Do you feel yourself being moved to fascism because of your love of comic books? I I think that's a leap that I'm not quite connecting. (laughs) Um, And especially if you, if you haven't seen um, any of these films in over 30 years, you're, you're probably not a reliable source to, uh, you know, to express that opinion. Um, You know, in terms of the infantilization, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, Alan Moore is not the only one who who uh, uh, was responsible for this elevation of the genre. Yeah. Um, and even since the 60s, uh, comics have tackled larger social issues, maybe sure. not not uh, like on on the nose. I mean, they, they do it in the way that comics do it. Um, but now, I mean, the movies are starting to touch on that. Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, when you're you know, it, it's called show business. For a reason, at the end of the day, you know, they have to make movies to keep the lights on. They have to make popular movies to keep the lights on. And because the genre has been sort of the, you know, the premier uh, type of film for, you know, the better part of 15 years now, um, you know, I think there's a concern that maybe the well is going to run dry. Mm -hmm. Uh, But these just between DC and Marvel, I mean, there are there is just a wealth of characters and introducing things like the multiverse means you can tap into some of those characters again. I mean, and you can uh, uh, tackle some of those uh, larger stories. I mean, we're seeing it now in the MCU with, uh, you know, with Black Panther. We, we saw what they tried to do um, with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I mean, they, you know, they're doing it with, with She-Hulk, granted, in a, in, a, in a lighter, more comedic way. But the, the message is still very much the same. Um, so I mean I don't I don't understand uh uh you know the leap that he's making that a craving for simpler times leads to fascism uh because that's not what I see when when you do see uh, adults lining up for these movies is a craving of simpler times I I see it as um you know they're they're experiencing real human emotion and, and granted it's being told through the lens of these sort of you know super super powered individuals but the emotions that that they experience and then sort of, you know, put, put on the audience as well. Those are very human. 
Yeah, I think the horrible fallacy of this point is this idea that liking superhero movies into your adulthood or liking superheroes, period, makes you some kind of infant. And one of the big things that has happened uh, over the last 30 to 40 years in the realm of psychology and self-help is to be in touch with your inner child, to talk to your inner child, connect with your inner child, find joy in life through the connection and conversations that you have with your inner child, remembering when you could enjoy the world. It's been really important in the, in the progress of therapy to kind of get in touch with that. And the older generation didn't, the old generation scoffed at it. The old generation also drank a lot, beat their kids a lot, cheated on their wives all the time. were really responsible and being, and taking part in a bunch of world wars. So you can look at that older generation and be like, well, was this really the way to go? Every generation has their thing, right? Cow, uh, cowboys and Indians, uh, for lack of a better term, that was the you thing in the 40s. Westerns. And the you could just say Westerns. Sure, Westerns. But that, but they played that game is what I mean to say. They played that game as kids, and then they, they saw it on the big screen when they were adults watching Westerns and getting into all of that. And so it's just it's all a progression, right? And I think that's the thing that I uh, think that Alan Moore needs to do a better job of understanding the sociological aspects of how we've changed as a culture. And these superhero movies are not just, let's go get them, Bob. They're, they're real deep explorations of the human condition from multiple different angles and multiple different types of people. We've explored political espionage, governments lying to you, security agencies being infiltrated by other security agencies to turn them against a populace. We've explored killing people and how you walk back from that, being an assassin, being reprogrammed. We've explored someone who is a villain being uh, eventually discovering that they can be a hero. So we've seen so many journeys human journeys uh in all of these characters in superhero movies and they've changed to fit with the time the 1989 batman is not the 2022 batman those are two completely different things so they reflect the culture and i think the and you i'd be hard pressed to find anybody tell me that 2022 batman is an infantile infantilization of batman and it's actually a very dirty gritty uh exploration of the underbelly of gotham and some of the crime that's involved there and so all of that i think alan moore is way off base on all of this and if anything marches you to fascism i would think having less comic books in your collection marches you to fascism because oh. comic books at their core try to teach you good from evil and try to make you fight evil and the nobility of fighting evil. And evil is something that seeks to take away voices from underrepresented communities, seeks to destroy people who want to make the world a better place, want to make the world an equal place. Those are evil usually in the comics. And so those are the things that you explore. So I would say that you could actually find more fascism in people who don't read comic books or don't watch superhero movies than those who do. Well, there are plenty of people on Twitter right now who feel very strongly about their comic books who do fall under the uh, different political views than the three of us, we'll say. Um, yeah, I discovered that, that really, a couple of weeks ago. The, real, for sure, the ones yeah. that are really mad about She-Hulk, the ones that are really yeah. mad about, you know, the wokeness in comics. And so right. I do think there are a lot of people who probably have a lot of comic books on their shelves who maybe are closer to fascism than maybe uh, the three of us or the people that we talk comics with. But yeah. uh, look, I think that to a degree, and I, I agree with everything you say for the most part, but I think that mm. even the 2022 Batman, there is a level of, I don't want to say infantilization, but like Batman is a dude who never got over the death of his parents. He And he doesn't kill. Like he is like, like he's not like a, like, like our comic book heroes. And I think this is a good thing. There is sort of a, I don't want to say younger view, but like a, a more innocent simpler view Idealistic of the world even 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 as they get more complicated like yeah and i think that 
you know, to what Shannon was saying is I don't think that uh, it's about, I think that it, like the, the ch childlike stories, basic stories are actually a good thing. I think that there's a reason that Greek myth, whether it be Greek mythology or the white hats and the black hats in Westerns or Jedi and Sith or superhero mm. supervillain. I think that, uh, you know, or uh, Sauron and Galadriel or, you know, however you want to slice it. Like we yeah. as a culture tell story, and not just we as Americans and not just we as geeks, but we from like the early days, yeah. we tell stories about good versus evil and princesses and stepmothers and ogres yep. and giants and gods and titans and we tell these stories and so just because the stories that are happening today um you know our titans are you know guys in iron suits or a soldier that was frozen for uh you know however many years in a block of ice like there still are greek heroes and our greek gods um we just spend a lot of money on special effects and go see them on yeah. the big screen so i think that in a way I think that we, and as someone who works on a lot of kids programming, I think there's a lot of times that we like to poo-poo like kids program. Oh, that's kids stuff. We always say kids stuff like it's less important, but I think the lessons that we learn in kid learn as kids are arguably way more important, way more true, and way more valuable than some of the stupid ass lessons we learn as adults. That's fair. Uh, I mean, and I would say the Batman to counter your point a little bit as you countered mine. I mean, he is being told throughout that movie you need to deal with the death of your parents. So they aren't just going like, it's pretty cool, you're, hanging, you're, you're still holding on to that shit. They're all trying to tell him, dude, get over that shit and move past it so you can be a better person. So he's always on that journey, um, at right, least in the modern point, version. Absolutely. But like, again, I wasn't saying that as a detraction to the 2022 Batman. I think to right, your right. point about therapy, so much of therapy is whether it's getting in touch with your inner child or looking at things that happened to you as a kid that you kind of forgot about that were bigger traumas than you knew. Like yeah, so yeah. much of what we deal with, like as adults, anyone who spent any amount of time in therapy, you spend a lot of time talking about your parents and talking about weird shit that happened to you in third grade in the lunchroom that you didn't really remember. But then you're like, oh shit, this is why I have anxiety every time I walk into a restaurant or whatever the fuck it is. So I think that Batman, that's not me. I was just making up an example. Oh, I, love I wondered why you clung to walls. Um, but, uh, but no, but so I'm saying like in the case of Batman and Bruce Wayne, yeah. I don't yeah. think that that makes Batman um, less of an interesting or important story right. because it's about a grown man who didn't get over a traumatic event when he was a kid. If anything, right. the reason we keep telling the Batman story over and over and over again is because something about somebody who had a traumatic event happen when he was a kid and never let go of it and let that drive him into everything he does as an adult hits really hard for a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I think. I agree. I agree hundred percent. All these, I mean, Wonder Woman's about proving herself to the world. Superman's about figuring out how to live his life in a foreign place and how to, how to make and be accepted. There's so many things without all these, uh, with all these stories to explore. So I don't know. I think maybe, you know, the old man was uh, spouting off and he's got very strong opinions um, about these things. But I think he's wrong if he hasn't seen these movies. I mean, I find it a little insulting that he hasn't seen these movies, but he feels he can opine about this stuff. Because if the if the thing was reversed and someone was opining on his comic books without having read any of his comic books, I think he'd be super pissed about it. So you've got to research this stuff before you talk about this stuff. I feel like if you want to talk about it, from a knowledgeable place. Sorry, Alan. I like your stuff. I love Viva Vendetta. I love Watchmen, but you know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Is what I'm saying. All right. Anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Let's jump, in, jump into a couple of trailers and uh, have some fun with that right after this. Ba da da da. Ba da da da. 
That was uh, he stressed that pretty hard. He stressed that pretty hard. I was deliberate. Yeah. I was deliberate. Okay. <laughs> Sounds a little fascist. I'm not gonna lie to you. Anyway, all right. <laughs> it's a little simple. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the, the, for this episode, we got trailers, trailers. It's actually two things, both coming from Netflix, yeah. um, both coming very, very soon as well. So the first one you'll notice from the uh, from the theme music was we get our second trailer for Wednesday. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Adams, Adams family, Adams. Oh my God. Adam <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> was in SNL as as well as a it, it's not gonna make sense <laughs> but yes we got our second look at Wednesday uh the new Netflix series coming from Tim Burton um and we got some great additions like already the the show looks fantastic I mean there are times and again I'll speak I'll speak to this as a as a writer there are times when you know you see a concept for a, a new film or a new show and it it's it's so good it makes you angry that you didn't think of it. <laughs> and the idea of, of a uh, teenage Wednesday going to uh, uh, essentially solve mysteries at a prep school, a, a sort of supernatural prep school. I'm like, God bless it. That is a great idea. Right. And with this trailer, we we get two we get two new actors. I mean, people have been wondering for a long time who was going to be playing Uncle Fester. Was Uncle Fester going to be in it? Well, we got our answer. It's going to be SNL alum like Adam Sandler, hey, Fred Armisen, who looks fantastic. And also we get the uh, rare uh, uh, cross-section of a Tim Burton alum with someone from the Adam Family movies from the 90s with Christina Ricci, who plays uh, one of the staff members at Nevermore Academy. I thought this trailer looked fantastic, but I'll throw it over to you, gentlemen. What did you think of our second look at Wednesday? Mikey? Uh, I mean, it looked as good as the first one looked, if not better. Uh, I mean, this just, it looks great. It looks tonally really interesting. The first trailer kind of gave us a lot of what we've come to expect from Wednesday from the Addams Family movies, which is Wednesday in sort of a regular school location. Was it the Nancy Reagan Academy oh, yeah. or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it gave us a lot of what we like to see, which is Wednesday in an in a environment that is very... Uh, not Wednesday Adams, and that was a lot of fun to see. But this, I think, is what we're going to spend the meat of the series in, which is Wednesday in this uh, in this other academy, which is seemingly as dark as she is, and yet still she seems like she's a little she doesn't quite fit in. So I think there's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it was like Adams Family meets Scooby Doo meets Harry Potter meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like it just had a little bit of everything in there. Um, but in all the right amounts, like it just looks super fun. Um, you know, there's this thing that happens sometimes when you're just looking at a bunch of actors where it just feels like they're having a blast and you just, there's just this energy that everyone is having a really, really, really good time, um, doing this. And then just the feel good vibes of Christina Ricci coming in at the end, because it just gives you that sense of a handoff. Uh, it gives you that, like, it's like, tag, you're it. I've done, I did my thing <laughs> back in the day, and now it's all you, and I am here, therefore I approve it, and let's uh, let's keep on keeping on. So I'm super, super stoked about this. I also love that it comes out in November and not October because Adam's Family Values sort of solidified Adam's Family as a Thanksgiving thing instead of a Halloween thing, even though it should, like, like Wednesday Adams at that summer camp in yeah. Adam's Family Values with Peter McNichol and Christine Baranski is so iconic that I don't actually watch Adam's Family or Adam's Family Values during Halloween. I save it for like Thanksgiving weekend. And so now I'm mm -hmm. gonna watch those 
and Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, this looks fantastic. I really enjoyed it. You know, obviously having so many Latino actors involved makes me have a soft, it gives me, it, it, I don't know, a soft place in my heart for it. And then bringing on Fred Armisen, who's also a Latino actor to play uh, Uncle Fester is fantastic. So all around, just great stuff. But if that wasn't enough, this looks like we're getting the best of Tim Burton. And we haven't got the best of Tim Burton in quite some time. But the vibe off of this, and I, I think I said this in my trailer reaction, that it reminds me of how I felt after I watched those Andor trailers. That I was like, oh, I know. I have a feeling this is going to be a great series. And I have a feeling about Wednesday as well. This feels like a great series. Love Jenna Ortega doing a really great job in the scenes that they show her in. But then also seeing the different... Um, it's it's similar, but it's different than what we saw Christina Ricci do back then and her encounters with the more, quote-unquote, normal uh, um, characters here. But we see some different species. You know, there's people missing their faces. What is that all about? So you see some different types of people involved in this Nevermore Academy. We see a kind of carry moment with uh, uh, Gwendolyn Christie getting blood on her. What is that all about? So and, and you throw in the mystery aspect, which I think really blew up over the pandemic. People are just obsessed with mysteries. Only Murders in the Building was huge. These podcasts, serial, things like that. So putting it in a mystery prism, I think, was genius. Because now you're like, okay, not only is it cool, the novelty of her being different than everybody else and her saying in the trailer that she likes it, but also we're going to rely on her instincts and her brains to figure out this mystery at this academy. So I don't know how much of the family we're going to see uh, but I know, obviously, we're going to see a lot of Jen Ortega, so the family's probably just going to pop in every once in a while, uh, in the depending on the episode, and I think that's good. You let Jenna breathe, do the role herself. It's called Wednesday, uh, so it's about her, and I like this whole aspect of it all. So, yeah, so much of it just looks so, so good, and I think this will redeem Tim Burton's lame a little bit over the last two, because some of those last few movies have not been good. <laughs> well, Wednesday is going to be dropping on Netflix Wednesday, November 23rd. So you will have all of uh, Thanksgiving weekend, even though it seems like this should have come out during October during yeah. scary season. It's coming out November 23rd. And our well, next Adam's trailer is Adam's family values. I'm telling you, Adam's family is a Thanksgiving. Now. <laughs> our next trailer is another Netflix project. This one, a film, this one, a sequel, Enola Holmes two. So another mm. mystery, just like John, was talking about yeah. people love a mystery right now so we have millie bobby brown returning as the uh, title character along with henry cavill and adil Akhtar, who played inspector lestrade helena bottom carter playing the mom um but also we have an addition we have david thulis who's coming in we don't know uh, a ton about his character yet but again this that first film i thought was so much fun mm-hmm. Like it, it comes from some of the creative team from Fleabag. People talked about like, ah, it seems like Fleabag. I'm like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I think <laughs> um, Anola talking to camera, breaking the fourth, breaking the fourth wall. I thought that was one of the things that really, really worked well. And uh, this one seems like it's really doubling down on the Henry Cavill that you know Anola has opened her own detective agency, which is not getting a ton of business. People come in asking for a brother, and it looks like they both get a case. Uh, they both get their own cases that sort of intersect so we're gonna get a lot of millie bobby brown and henry cavill teaming up but gentlemen what did you all think of our first look at enola holmes too mike Johnny? okay Johnny? i'll go first i loved it i thought it was great I, I, this is you know i love that we're getting more of cavill involved in this so more of sherlock holmes i like that he's going to be on his own um mystery and she's going to be her a mystery but they intersect as we see henry say in the trailer so that's going to be fun. And we see 
uh, the last line of him saying how, uh, you know, that's another thing our mother has to answer for. So these kind of mysterious things in the past here with uh, Helena Bonham Carter and the connection there and seeing what Enola Holmes's part is in all of this is going to be fun, too. And what she is going to discover about herself as a detective. Of course, Millie Bobby Brown growing as an actress, growing as a presence. We're seeing her more and more uh, out there doing interviews, talking very confidently about her life and about what she wants to do and where she's going. So putting her here to come back for a sequel, we're having the, the, the fourth wall breaking, which is really cute. But also we're seeing her tackle this mystery and deal with the perce- perceptions of a female detective at this time, well, how people would actually deal with it. And it reminds me of that um, show that's on PBS that I like watching. I, just, it's, I can't remember. Mrs. Duke and the Pimpernel, something, something like that. I can't remember. But it's a female detective back at the turn of the century and what she's enduring as a female detective because she's taken over her father's detective agency and what she endures as she is. The Scarlet, Scarlet and Mr. Duke, something like that. Uh, but anyway, it's great. It's a great a series. Just people. a lot of words. <laughs> no, I know. So just, just look for a blonde female detective who's in Peaky Blinders. She's fucking great. So anyway, this this feels like that. And I, I'm a big fan of the Sherlock Holmes world. So having her be having Enola keep going with these stories that have been written, obviously, already, I think speaks volumes about how much faith Netflix has in this project and has in Millie Bobby Brown uh, as this character. So I'm enjoying it. And David Thule is clearly, to me, going to be the main villain. Uh, and that's going to be fun to see her go back and forth with David Thule as well. Mikey? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was just delightful. I mean, the thing that yeah. the thing that I take away is we spend so much time talking about these, uh, whether, like, like I said, whether House of the Dragons, uh, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Marvel, take your pick, where it's all connected and then there's this and like you saw this, but it means this and maybe this is going to happen here and this is a reference to this. And this just looks like just fun. Just like a good time with a bunch of actors who are on their A game uh, and a really fun and engaging story. Like it's not, it's not super heavy. It's not the deepest, most meaningful thing you're ever going to see, but it is just a wonderful ride. Like I think the first one, like Shannon said, was just a lot of fun. And I think this one looks like more of that. And I think, you know, it's great. It's also, this is just, you know, I was thinking about it as I was watching the trailer. And we have a lot of these things now um, because we're really lucky. But, like, this is a movie that a decade ago, to think of a movie like this just coming out on TV um, with this cast, with this production value, would just be, like, you would, like, it just, we live in a completely different world now of what we get on TV because of streaming. Um, it really is just a completely different landscape than it was 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, for the better for all of us, we get to go see awesome things in the movies and then we get to sit on our couch and watch awesome things. So it's not so great for like the networks who are still trying to make things that are on that TV budget, but we got options. (laughs) All right. It's called Miss Scarlet and the Duke. There we go. I got it right. right. Where was Pimpernel? But there is no Pimpernel. You were you were like Pimpernel, Duke and Duchess, Worthington Listen, and Her Majesty's Pearls. Like you were Scarlet Pimpernel and the Duke of Earl. Hey, it's that called, was that a song in the fifties. It's called COVID Brain. There's a fog in here sometimes. So I'm sorry, I can't always remember these titles. Damn it. But it's a good show. It's in its second season on PBS. You can watch it if you like female detectives. But also Duke, another side Duke of this too. We see them. <laughs> We see the moment 
with Enola Holmes also dealing with how people perceive her as being a rich kid, right? I mean, we see her kind of going down with the lower classes, so to speak, for lack of a better term down there, and how they perceive her to be, and she's turning around the perception of that. So are we going to get, what's the name of that uh, of that crew in, in the Sherlock Holmes stories that hang the out? Irregu- the Irregulars. I wonder if we're going to get some of that or an allusion to the Irregulars or her version of the Irregulars that are like all females uh, uh, being a part of this. I wonder because it's, I think it's young girls that are being taken in the trailer. So what is that going to be something that pops up? So that could be another fascinating aspect of this particular sequel as well. Well, we will get to find out when Enola Holmes 2 drops on November 4th, just in a few weeks. That's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, let's take a quick break after I stumble through all of that and uh, jump into uh, uh, our main event topic. And that is Werewolf by Night, our spoiler review. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want us to spoil anything, now's the time to stop. Thanks for watching. But if you have seen it, hang around with us after a few seconds, and we're going to start talking about this thing right after this. Werewolf bar mitzvah, spooky, scary, boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. A good one. That what? is a good one. Is that? That is from 30 Rock. Oh, 30 Rock. No, 30 Rock. Okay. <laughs> that, Werewolf that, Tracy... bar mitzvah, spooky, spooky scary. I thought you were going to do Werewolves of London, but all right, that's fine. I'm cool with that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, go ahead. What did you say, Shit? No, I was more confident in my uh, recounting of the Tracy Morgan, <laughs> Tracy Jordan song. It's five o'clock. What are we, Farmer's Lemon? All right. Anyway, this is Werewolf by Night here. Fantastic. Uh, 52-minute piece of Marvel genius and brilliance that dropped uh, just a few days ago on Disney+. Plus. Directed by composer Michael Giacchino. A lot of people having questions about this, whether he could do the job, and I think it's pretty much established afterwards that everybody thinks Giacchino did an incredible job with this uh, with this piece here, Werewolf by Night, starring Gail Garcia Bernal uh, as Jack Russell, who is, unbeknownst to us initially, if you haven't read the comics, is a werewolf, and he is uh, brought together with a bunch of other hunters here, including Elsa Bloodstone, to uh, the Bloodstone family manor here to capture Man-Thing, and whoever captures Man-Thing gets the Bloodstone, and we find out that Man-Thing and Jack have a previous relationship. Elsa gets recruited by Jack to help Man-Thing, and it leads to uh, uh, everybody going against um, Frazier's former manager. So uh, just fantastic stuff here in this uh, particular 52-minute piece of uh, content here from Marvel that had some great Easter eggs and basically established that the world of vampires, Wendigos, Sasquatches, Man-Things, werewolves, and all kinds of stuff have existed. Nosferatu's have existed for a very long time in the world of the MCU now. So although it's only 52 minutes, it seems to have cracked the door open uh, to some really new and interesting places to go in the MCU, more than any two-and-a-half-hour movie might do. So, gentlemen, uh, who wants to go first? What did you think of this movie? Shannon? You know, I, I really liked it. The only mm. thing that the one ding that it has, I, I wanted more. Mm. Um, you know, at 52 minutes, uh, you know, it, it really, really moves. And which is a good thing. I mean, you know, it's kind of like you start it and boom, suddenly uh, Jack is turning in, turning into a werewolf. Um, the only thing is I, I just I think there was probably enough in there story wise for them to tack on another 40 minutes. Like I wanted to, you know, I'm going to sound like Johnny here. Like, I want to know about all these other hunters. Oh! <laughs> 
I'm like, I really, that works out. I like, I really, you know, I, I, I just think there was uh, cinematically, there was just such a great way to introduce everyone be like, this is what they do. This is who they've killed. I mean, to really sort of up the stakes, um, love Laura Donnelly in it, uh, you know, as, uh, as Elsa Bloodstone mm. from, from the, you know, the first moment when the Marvel uh, opening credits logo starts and it goes black and white and you see the werewolf slashes and how he's he he alters the theme to more of this sort of, you know, 1930s, 1940s uh, yeah. monster movie style. I mean, everything was just really, really great. Um, loved the relationship between Jack and Ted. Uh, I, I did not know that man thing came first. I thought Swamp Thing was first, but <laughs> looking at the two characters together, I'm like, Wow, you all really aped Man Thing. I mean, I guess you got uh, you know they they you know borrow from each other all the time. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, just super super enjoyed it. Um, I I wasn't crazy about the werewolf design. I like I, he was a little more Lon Chaney Jr. Whereas I think I like a little more American Werewolf in London. I like the I like the elongated snout. Um, you don't but... think that would have been weird in the nineteen when they're doing the homage to like the nineteen thirties nineteen forties Wolfman? Okay. No, no, I no. I mean, I I understood what they were doing. Right, I just, right, sure. And, and I mean, and it's a, and it's just personal taste. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I think it looks a little more. It looks a little more um, uh, werewolf like to me with that elongated snout. But okay. you know, I thought the the chemistry between uh, Bernal and Donnelly was was great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not a, a a fan of that show on HBO, The Nevers. But when I did tune into it a couple of times, I was like, I'm like, I like her though. Laura yeah. Donnelly's great. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the only thing is like, I just would have liked, I think you could have made this a feature, but I don't know, maybe the novelty of the black and white wouldn't have worked for that long. Or maybe this is just something that they want to start doing from now on is these holiday specials, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Mike thoughts on this, uh, special presentation, 52 minute MCU, uh, piece of content. I mean, I just love that Marvel, and like we said, I mean, they after after Endgame, they didn't just go, okay, well, let's just repeat the formula again and play it safe. I mean, they're just trying all kinds of different things. So to do a, you know, a, an hour-long special, black and white, you know, a special presentation, not a TV series, not a full movie, we're just going to do this little thing and drop it. It's just another avenue for them to be able to do these types of things. And look, I don't disagree with Shannon. Like, I really enjoy that. I could have watched another hour. I could have watched a mm. limited series, but it's always good to leave them wanting more. You know, if, if we're all coming out of this thing going, fuck, I love these characters. I want to see more of them. I wish this had been longer. Like, I don't think it was a matter, and I don't think this is what Shannon was saying. I don't think it's a matter of, oh, it felt really compressed and it felt like they were really rushed and they didn't get to, like, like they told the story they wanted to tell. It was just, everything was really interesting and it was a fun yeah. universe. Um, I think a couple things they did that were really smart. I think, you know, opening up, I love the opening Marvel logo, like Shannon said, as soon as they started scratching and like this, you saw the slashes and it all went black and white. I was like, oh, I'm fucking in on this. I'm in. Um, just stylistically, the vibe just kind of really going for that 1930s universal black and white monster yeah. movie feel just really, they nailed it and it was super, super fun. I actually went back after I watched it because I was in the mood to watch more and just went to Peacock and started watching Frankenstein. You were like, oh. I was like, let's just go watch the old stuff again. Um, I love that when they started it, the very first thing that we see is that sort of shot on the parchment or the wall or whatever of the actual Avengers. And yeah. it kind of cool. says, hey, I mean, I don't remember the exact quote, but basically it says, hey, we live in a world of superheroes and marvels, but also there's this other shit. 
So right off the bat, in the first two lines, they kind of say, hey, yeah, you guys have been focusing on these guys, but by the way, there's a bunch of other stuff going on in this universe that nobody really knows about. And you're like, all right, cool, sold, I'm in. I'm 100% <laughs> in on this, great. Um, and just the, I love simple introductions of characters that instantly get you on their side. So the introduction of Jack, um, as soon as he comes in, and he starts talking to these other guys and you just get that he's a little bit nicer, sensitive, quieter, like just, yeah. it's all in the performance. It's not like he says anything, but you're automatically like, I'm on this guy's side. And then Elsa in the complete opposite way comes in and is like, fuck you, fuck this shit. This is dumb. And you're like, yep, like her too. So you have these two characters that kind of win you over in the extremes of kind of who they are. Um, and then everything that happened was just an absolute blast. It was a really simple story. Like, you know, to your point, it's like, here's a bunch of people. You all want the bloodstone. You're all going to go out and kind of kill this monster and you can all kill each other. And whoever gets the bloodstone at the end gets to be the new boss. They're like, yeah. oh, great setup. Go fight each other. Yeah. When you direct something and write something and get the actors to invest in it, it's amazing how much you can get away with just spoken exposition, you know, mm -hmm. talking about, Oh, 100 kills for this person, 73 kills for this person. And also, my husband is dead. And uh, you all had a great long relationship with this guy. Well, here's a way to honor him. And one of you gets the bloodstone. Whoever kills this monster gets the bloodstone. Okay, I guess we're all in. But the smart thing they do is the little moments in between, like when Jack is walking in for the first time and seeing all the different things on the wall and taking in all the different characters, which are great um easter eggs to werewolf by night comics some of those characters their heads are mounted on the walls are characters in werewolf by night and seeing some of that but also seeing there's like apparently a gore the god butcher scene in there that is drawn on the wall as well uh so that's a nice reference that keeps it in the mcu and as you said mike starting out with the heroes the avengers there at the top and all of that by the way that's rick d wasserman who was doing the uh the voiceover i thought it was clancy brown but i looked it up as rick me d. too <laughs> yeah another great voiceover guy who's done a number of things so they had the right mood and atmosphere from the beginning. And you bring in Harriet Sansom Harris, as I mentioned, Fraser's agent. She's so good when she comes in, right? She commands her space. She has the right voice, the right sound yeah. for this kind of thing. Then you find out that El she's Elsa's uh, stepmom and that there were issues between Elsa and her dad. And you realize she's one of those women that you've seen, like Frau Blucher in Young Frankenstein, who is so dedicated to her man, you know, she was, she's got him there in some kind of, you know, coffin and he's, this is all his setup and she's carrying out his wishes to a T, even though he's dead, he'd never fucking know if she did it or not. Her devotion to him is so strong that she does this, but also her, her anger towards her stepdaughter because she feels that her stepdaughter didn't appreciate her dad the way she appreciates her husband. And so there's all of that element dancing in between. And then when the the stuff and then the stuff with man thing was so cool, just the the grunts of understanding the changes in the eyes, the changes in the in the face, the animate whatever they did, the CG animation and also the the costume, I guess the practical effects because it's um Carrie Jones who did Black Chrysanthemum, he was the one doing man thing and just so well done. Even all the way to the end when they're sitting there and there's a French press coffee on the rock for one random reason and a, a phone booth and he's sitting there just having coffee with him and he says, I owe you dinner, I'll take it to sushi. Yeah, you can pick the place. Those are the, It was just normal, right? It wasn't made to be fantastical. 
It's just, it just is. And I think that was the genius of this. They presented this to you as if something that has existed for quite some time, you're allowed to have 52 minutes in this world and then you're out. That's all you get. And I think there's a, there's a joy in that. I do agree with Shannon would have liked to have seen more from uh, Azarel and Barrasso, the two other hunters. We got a lot with Jovan, who was great. Uh, mm-hmm. But the other hunters, and Bjorn, we didn't get too much with Bjorn either, the other hunter. Would have been nice to see some more of that for sure. But in the end, they 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 were just part of the piece here, the overall puzzle here. It was about getting to the relationship with Elsa yeah. and Jack and Ted. And that really worked. And I agree with you. Laura Donnelly was so good from beginning to end. Definitely getting those Kristen Ritter vibes a little bit, like a British version of Kristen Ritter <laughs> in a different way. And so she was able to do those. And her reaction, the, the the werewolf change was so good. I don't need to see the American werewolf in London change. I just need to see it start and then see the shadow and the lightning yeah. and all of that. That amped up the terror of it all. And her reaction, even though she seemed to have been resigned to her fate, watching this happen scared the shit out of her, which I thought was great. And then the fight scene with the werewolf and the and the um, makeshift fog that they, in essence, created by electrocuting his hair was genius. So all of it just worked uh, so well. And then Man-Thing coming in as a kind of um, a savior right at the end to kill what's her, to kill Verusa so that Elsa could get away. Just genius, paying her back there, right? So, so much of this just really worked from top to bottom and the pacing and the editing. And all of it was just so well done. And they didn't skimp on the gore when they needed to, which is why they also kept it in black and white. They could show a little more of the blood and gore and stuff. Yeah. So it was good. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. one of the things you said, oh. one, you're right, that uh, when you have really good performers, exposition, because you have to have exposition. And when really mm-hmm. good performers do it, it, it doesn't feel like exposition. You're like, this is just fun. But the yeah. other thing they did a good job of is what you choose not to say. Um, you know, to your point, point about Elsa Bloodstone coming in, Elsa comes in. We instantly know she doesn't she didn't leave on good terms with her dad. She yeah. doesn't necessarily agree. There's a lot of contention there. We didn't get any details. We might get True. them later on, but it didn't we I got it. And you didn't have Elsa give some speech about like, well, I don't know that monsters are bad. Maybe monsters aren't what my father thought they were. Like she never said shit. You just yeah. knew she didn't really she didn't really gel with her dad. And then when she does go see Ted and she's like, hey, so Ted, you said it's a great name. Like, like you just, without her having to have some kind of big speech stating yeah. where she stood on monster human relations, you got that she was just different from her dad. And then yeah. she fell right into being like, okay, with the werewolf and the man thing. And so, you know, there's also something to be really said about like, choosing what you don't need to say, what you can get through visually or through context. And then the other thing I wanted to say, and they are so good at this is tonally, this was a hundred percent a universal monster movie. Yeah. Until uh, Ted man thing grabbed Jack. The moment that Man-Thing grabbed Jack and he turned around and you realized that they were friends and he was like, Hey buddy, of course I'm not going to leave you. It totally turned into a Marvel movie. Yeah. Like it could have been Rocket and Groot in all the best ways. Like it just, there was this relationship that was very funny that didn't really fit with the rest of the vibe. And so it instantly grabbed you and you just instantly fell in love with Ted. And even at the end, like when Man-Thing comes back in, like you said, you know, Man-Thing comes in in that epic, epic moment and he grabs Verusa and you have like that universal movie style death and she like yeah. just blows away. And then they're kind of standing there for a minute and Elsa's like, so yeah, Jack, Jack left. That way. <laughs> he went though. And, and, and Ted's like, 
and you see him grab a robe on the way out, which I didn't know what he was doing until you get to the end, and you're like, oh, he knew that he knew that Jack was going to be naked when he found him. He's like, oh, man, get this fucker a coat, and he walks out like I think he steps over one of the dead guards. It's yeah, so well, the, casual, the yeah. Um, and so like it's just my brother who is not you know who 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 knows enough about superheroes that he's into the Marvel universe, but certainly doesn't know who Man Thing is. Was like Ted's my Ted's my boy. Ted's my new guy, <laughs> and then to get to the end where Elsa gets the bloodstone, everything is kind of done and have somewhere over the rainbow come on right. and have everything sort of just fade to color, which sort of to me was like, hey, this was a special event and we were gonna give you this universal monster movie, but here's our reminder that these guys are part of the MCU. Like right. they this are happened modern day. and yeah. real people. And so all of a sudden now, Elsa, Ted and Mam thing like, they're in the MCU and yeah. with Blade coming and with Agatha, Agatha's uh, coven of chaos coming down the road, like we've got a good chunk of magical, mystical, monstery characters yeah. that I think uh, all have um, that Mr. Feige has big plans for all of them. Yeah, it didn't sk- what, I, what I think, uh, Michael, you make a great point about the switching to make it feel like a Marvel movie. They still didn't skimp on the horror. Like oh. when he kills Jovan from his head down and like with that whatever power of his that he has and then kills uh, Jurassic later or Jurassic whatever it is later, like even though it's a Marvel movie, there's still some brutal kills in this. And when he becomes the werewolf and is tearing all those guards apart and biting yeah. their necks and blood's flying everywhere, as funny and comedic as it is, they did not skimp on the horror aspect of it all. Which for anyone who's watching worried about Deadpool being R-rated, I mean, if they're willing to do that with Werewolf by Night, they certainly can play in that uh, sandbox with Deadpool 3 as well. Yeah, I mean, that that scene, the the, the transformation scene, which leads into that great mm. action scene. And this is, this is, again, me as a selfish audience member, uh, wanting more. Um, like the, the, the fact that Jack ripped off Barrasso's ear with his oh, yeah. mouth. Right. I mean, you see the CGI ear go flying, the blood spraying everywhere. Like I loved, I loved the movements. Like mm-hmm. I loved the, the, like the, the, the sort of, uh, animal like nature that they gave the werewolf. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, again, that harkened back to kind of that original Wolfman movie, um, yeah. with the ability to make him do things that, you know, they never would have been able to do back then. Um, I just, just wanted more. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted I mean, yeah, that, that one shot after, after that whole thing, when they, that one long shot they had where the door in the background is slowly coming down and yeah. he's just like ravaging those guards and the blood flies and hits the screen. And then a few minutes later, more blood flies and hits the screen. And like, it's slowly, slowly. And then he's starting slashing. Like it was just, it was a monster movie. Like yeah. it was like, they fully, fully went for it. And you've got to give them credit that like, they didn't, they didn't go, well, we should like do a little homage to a universal monster movie. We should have one scene where things are black and white, or we should do one little bit, but then like, let's make sure we do something so that audiences aren't too super freaked out about it. Like they just fully, fully went for it. And I think it really paid off for them. Yeah. And they didn't turn Elsa into a damsel in distress that had to, you know, kind of figure out. Oh, she held her own up until the moment she saw homie turn. And I think anybody would freak out at seeing something like that right in front of them. And then held her own at the end as she as she saved Jack from yeah. uh, from her stepmom in that moment, and then almost paid the price for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did. It's a really it's a tightrope walking act because mm. 
it's always hard when you're like, I don't want to make this person a damsel in distress, but somebody has to get rescued from somebody. And how am I going to do it? And they did like, yeah. she got out, instantly started fighting the other monster hunters right. while Jack was ravaging the guard. So definitely like held her own with them, then ended up saving Jack from her stepmom, and but then was in peril again. But what saved her was that she didn't treat Jack like a monster. You know, nobody, like Jack, yeah. like... I, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like she or Ted, but like that moment, like that whole, like when Jack starts sniffing her in the yeah. cell, yeah, she's yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, you know, like, like, I'm just, I got to remember you. I got to do this. Just look into my eyes. Like, you know, like her, the reason she survived and the reason she gets the bloodstone at the end is not because she was the one that could kill the, the monster the hardest or was the most, the, the best monster hunter is that she actually treated the monster like a human. Like yeah. she treated the monster like an actual person and looked them in the eye and whatever. And so now she gets to keep the bloodstone. So she's the yeah. boss now. So it was a good message. And now we, and like I said, like you get to the end with those two sitting there by that fire. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, these two monsters, I would watch, you can do a special every year with them. I don't care. Oh I would see the, the adventures of Jack and Ted. I'm a hundred percent in. I'll watch it. I'm in the, the Martin and Riggs of, of the MCU, I'm 100 percent down <laughs> for that for sure. Yeah, I mean, so so good. Uh, and I didn't feel like becoming a fascist at any point while I was watching this. So yeah. I, I think even more, even better to enjoy that in that way. Um, and uh, and and I mean, we got to. I know we're, we're kissing Laura Donnelly's ass so much. Gail Garcia Bernal did a fantastic job. So good in this. I mean, the fact that these two friends, him and Diego Luna, who essentially grew up together through the Mexican cinema in crossing over to an American cinema. Now they're both experiencing at the same time under the Disney umbrella, this great amount of love and respect for their work. And I liked him in old. I loved him in this. He was so yeah. natural playing this character, the little beats, the little moments, the connection with Ted, him fucking around with the explosive and not getting it right. Great. Funny. He played all that so well. And then of course the relationship with Elsa. So, all of this, he did such an excellent job throughout this entire uh, 52 minutes. And at the end, it, it, it was great. You know, it, just the way his interactions with Ted were so funny. The sushi line was perfectly delivered. Just great stuff from Gail Garcia. But I hope people woke up and seen and have seen like how talented this guy actually, how talented yeah. this guy actually is, you know, and we'll see more from it. Well, I think something that was really great is we're so used to seeing werewolf stories where the person who is the werewolf is like this tortured soul. Who's yeah, like, fr oh, yeah, frazzled I'm all the time. Carrying this burden and I'm depressed and oh Ugh. god. And like this is a guy. Save yourselves. Who, yeah, this guy is he's seemingly made peace with what he is and who he is. And yeah. you know, he definitely he did an amazing job. He didn't have he didn't get to be like the badass like Elsa. He didn't get the over-the-top performance. He was playing what everyone else was like a bloodthirsty monster hunter. He was playing this sweet kind of sensitive guy. And the yeah. the the magic of his performance was in the little stuff. It was in the way mm -hmm. he was looking at the monsters' heads on the wall. It was in right. the nice the nice way that he was treating everybody. It's when he first sees Elsa in the maze and he's like, Why don't we just pass each other? Like he was just nice. Yeah. He was just a nice guy who was there to get his friend. And then when he sees his friend, when he sees Ted, his face lights up and he's, oh, yeah, buddy. Like, I could. Like, he was just such a sweet guy. And the comic timing he had that it was, again, it wasn't broad comedy, but just like the trying to get the, the, the explosive set up and it not working and him trying, like, oh, let me get it. Like, he just, he did a really great job with all of that, that he was just this intense, like, he was intensely likable. Yeah. And in and, the comics, he has a sister. 
who also has this ability. So we'll see if that plays in, if they do a sequel to this with Jay Keno. Sorry, Shan, go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to talk about that scene where the right when he sort of enters the manor and he's seeing all the mounted yeah, heads. Yeah. And like, because, you know, I don't read Werewolf by Night. I don't know, you know, who, who which characters are there as just set dressing, which are Easter eggs. Um, but as he's kind of looking around and, and knowing how the monster hunters are kind of being portrayed, yeah. you look at this, like how many of those were his friends? How many of those... Right. Uh, did he have you know other sort of history with like like when he kind of indicates that one I think kind of a kind of a bat like creature where he says you know I fought him a couple of times I actually do think he's being serious like I think he probably yeah. was not buddies with this one like he actually yeah. did fight that guy he wouldn't have chosen to decapitate him and and put him on display um, but the as he's sort of uh, uh, acknowledging each of these heads and then when he starts talking with Jovan the the uh, the mask that he puts on the, Oh, Hey, yeah. Ah, good to see you. Like, like that, that, that um, feeling of like, no, I belong here. This is, yeah, I'm one of you all um, to, to your point, John, I think uh, Bernal did a, a really, really great job. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, uh, any final words on this? Or are we good to go? Great score as well. Oh, yeah. Kino turned in yeah. another really, really great score. That was very indicative of the, the, you know, horror films from the past. Yeah. Uh, and look, in the same way that I'll probably be watching Hawkeye this Christmas, uh, I would watch Roll by Night every Halloween. Like it, yeah. it really, it really, it really got me, and it did get me genuinely excited for this side of the Marvel universe. And I think we're look, we say it all the time, but Marvel they know we're excited about Fantastic Four. They, you know, all we ever talk, oh, they're gonna announce the cast, they're gonna announce the cast. When do we get in the Fantastic Four? I want Reed Richards. They know we're excited about X Men. Oh, yeah. who's a mutant? When are the mutants coming? Whatever. But as they are dragging us along that journey, they keep introducing these brand new characters, yep. um, to, brand new to a lot of people, people who aren't as familiar. And yep. you know that could be, if you're not really a comic book person, that could be Miss Marvel, that could be Shang-Chi, that mm -hmm. could be She-Hulk. And now it's like, now it's, it's Jack Russell and it's Man-Thing and it's Elsa Bloodstone, but they're filling out this world in a way that we're, I'm I'm now equally as excited to get more adventures with Elsa, Jack, and Man Thing, and the magical, mystical aspects of the MCU as I am about finding out what's going on with the Fantastic Four or where Kang is or where mutants are. So I think they're doing a really good job of again. I'll just say it. While DC's still trying to figure out what the fuck to do with Henry Cavill and Superman, uh, Marvel is just whipping out like the C and the D deck and being like, yep, you're going to care about them. You're going to care about them. You're going to care about them. And you're going to care about them. Boom. We're done. There you go. All right. Well, there you go. That's our uh, episode of the Geek Buddies and our spoiler review for Werewolf by Night. We hope you appreciated that. Thanks for watching or listening to us. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey? Um, well, if you like Marvel movies and uh, Netflix series and werewolves and you don't like Alan Moore, we are the place for you. Uh, and here's <laughs> what you guys can do uh, to help us keep doing what we do. You can hit that like button below. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page and check out all the amazing content he has got there. You can leave your comments below and let us know what you thought about everything we talked about today. What were your thoughts on Werewolf by Night? Where do you think these characters are going to go? What are you excited about with Marvel? What are you excited about with Netflix? And how do you feel about our boy? 
Allen. Uh, let us know below if you are listening to us on podcast. Leave us some stars. Leave us some comments. It helps us go up in the rankings so that more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. That's for sure. And uh, big, big thanks again to Carbon Health, who powers and sponsors us here on the Geek Buddies. Go to CarbonHealth.com for any of your healthcare questions, concerns, or needs, or download the app so you can have a doc in your pocket for any of those concerns when you are on the go. They believe in creating specific healthcare plans for that work for you specifically based on your body type, your experiences, and your health situation at the time when you construct them. And they want to support and uplift communities just like ours to get together to talk about nerdy things that we love and geeky things that we love as well. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.